Wake up to jazz, switch on to arts, head home to drive, and relax with the rest on 89.7 FM, Eastside Radio. Stay tuned. Eastside Radio, 89.7 FM. Hello, you are listening to Breaking Waves. I'm Riley. And I'm John Mark. And we are back in the driver's seat. Coming to you from the bunker in Paddington Town Hall on Eastside FM, and we're going to be with you for the next three weeks, bringing you some tales of travel. Faraway places. With strange-sounding names. And interesting smells. And unusual sights. Some people seem to like to travel way more than others, right, John? Yeah, some people don't like to leave the suburb they live in. A couple of my neighbours haven't really been anywhere their whole lives. But um, uh, I think we have periods in our lives too when it's uh, an opportunity for us. That's true. Like when I was a little kid, we didn't travel very much. Uh, We didn't really go on holidays overseas. Um, I did most of my exploring uh, to faraway places when I left home. And uh, I had... The opposite, in a way, I had a lot of um, travel in uh, in my childhood, in, which we'll get into um, perhaps uh, perhaps on next week's show. But uh, it's funny, isn't it? How yeah, some people. I th- what was that film, The Castle, where they're just, oh, why would you want to go anywhere? You know. And I think part of that, um, ref- it's meant to reflect a kind of like. Uh, a stereotype around that notion of not wanting to travel is will reflect for some people like a a small mindedness or something or like not broadening your horizons to be open to new experiences and things like that but um I can definitely see the appeal of just staying in a nice hobbity yeah, your own cozy little world. Yeah. But the thing is, it is quite a small world mm. when you don't actually go <laughs> go and have a look around. The world is um, such a um, a varied place. That's right, and it broadens. Uh, it can help a person develop new insights and new aspects to their character to just go forth and do that. And I guess it speaks to that idea that the author the joseph campbell came up with the the hero of a thousand faces and one of these notions is the hero's journey the idea that a hero has to be called forth often reluctantly to go on some kind of quest and adventure and that's how they uh self-actualize themselves and i guess a really prime example of this is the lord of the rings where the hobbits are forced to leave the comfort and security of the shire and go on that grand adventure and you know save the world sort of a thing this is it this is what if I take one more step it'll be the farthest away from home I've ever been come on Sam 
Remember what Bilbo used to say? It's a dangerous business, Frodo. Going out your door, you step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. And there's a reason that these kind of travel stories resonate. I mean, in our history, uh, the story goes that humans used to be nomadic by nature and then had to settle down once uh, forms of agriculture became more complex. And that is cited as like a cause of a lot of problems of people fighting for certain bits of land instead of moving on in, in a more sort of cyclical kind of uh, way of things. Yeah, and there's certainly plenty of evidence of people exploring throughout history. Um, you know, I think we're continuing to find um, the existence of artifacts that show that people have travelled mm. in times where previously thought uh, people didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's something inbuilt into humans yes. to want to explore and go over that hill. That's it. You know, and see what's on the other side. Yeah, see, the grass is always greener. And sometimes, and we've talked about this before, John, how you don't even have to go that far necessarily, but just there's something can be very renewing about being in a different place. And it's a change of scene. Does yeah, wonders. the diversity and um, divergence of, of human culture, language, uh, customs... You really don't have to go far to find people do, doing things a little bit differently or a lot differently. Yeah, it's like in uh, America how they have like such diverse dialects that people from different parts of the country won't be able to understand each other, you know, and that's to do with um, their history, with like how there was the Dutch um, elements in Minnesota, so they say things like, oh, yeah, and stuff like that, and it's totally different too. Yeah, and down in Louisiana, they've got Spanish. Yeah. Uh, they've got French. That's it, yeah. Uh, they've got African influences. Mm. It's Yeah, it's so diverse, and, and an example of that, that you go somewhere um, else, and it's just a whole new world. Um, I think we have that a little bit in Australia, but you can't really... Maybe you can pick some people by how mm. they speak. It's more subtle. Yeah, it is. I think you go to Tasmania and uh, and I love Tasmania, but I do find that I've noticed that from my brief stay there that Tasmania seems to produce a lot of very weather-beaten people. And I think it's kind of part of what Tasmania does. There's a certain harshness about the land. I mean, for one thing, it's very cold. It's near that... Um, that Arctic world, you know, and so uh, people—it's almost like they've got a sort of calluses on their skin to fend off the uh, the chill, the elements. Um, um, but no, that's that's fascinating. It's kind of hard to see for us because we live in a culture mm. where we're all so connected with our radios yeah, and our televisions and our phones yeah. and our newspapers. Um, and our broadcasts of all different kind, it, it tends to normalize us and vanillarize us. Starbucking. <laughs> everything. And it's like when you'll go to a pub that's been renovated to look soulless, um, which, are, you know, just a lot of um, modern establishments just will be 
yeah, devoid of, of character, devoid of history. Yeah, we have so much regulation here at almost every level of society. Uh, speaking of regulation, I mean, so one of the things that's been so weird about uh, the post-COVID world and the lockdowns and everything is the fact that people haven't been able to travel. You know, there's been restrictions of uh, country, you know, border restrictions, but also simply uh, leaving the radius of your, you know, neighbourhood and and uh, they even had a, a curfew in Melbourne, you know. Yeah, the holiday makers have been in hell for the last two years. That's basically. right. And, and the weird part about that is that I think that um, the... It kind of torments, uh, it can torment a person that the magic, the medicine of uh, a fantastic story like Lord of the Rings cannot be applied to their own lives because they're not able to actually physically enact a journey, you know, uh, freedom of movement. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely been a strange time for all that. And I suppose that uh, in some ways... Uh, in times of strife, in times of war, or whatever, it it it's harder to travel. I mean, we had the the booming air travel industry starting up, you know. Um, After the war, basically, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it brought travel to mm. people of of meagre means. Everyday people could get on a plane mm. and go to another country. Um, something that used to take weeks or months by ship prior to that. So. It wasn't something available to most people. And so, yeah, we've just gone through this very long period of, of the ability to travel for almost everybody. And we seem to certainly lately be entering a period where the restrictions on travel um, have tightened up enormously. Yeah, and I'm uh, old enough to remember 9-11. I was um, in kindergarten at the time. And I remember I was actually staying with my parents at the Manly Pacific Hotel and watching it on the TV. But post 9-11, of course, things became uh, more tight and more regulated with travel. But I'm also old enough to remember being uh, a little boy pre 9-11 and going into the cockpit of a plane with my mother and the pilots showing us around and looking out the window and everything. And that just would not happen (laughs) today. We're going to go to our first track now. And this happens to be one of my Nana's favorite songs. Let it rip. Yeah. I start 
that was Far Away Places by The Bachelors. It, uh, yeah, it happened to be my Nana's favorite song, or one of them. It was played at her funeral, in fact, and it resonated with her because she was someone who had the travel bug. In fact, she grew up on a barge, so during her formative years, she was always in motion, and uh, the idea of travel was always something that appealed to her hence that was somewhat of a standard back in the day for people dreaming about faraway places yeah because i guess um you know there's it's suggestive uh, suggestive of something exotic and something adventurous and it's kind of a, a yearning they uh, he says in the song they're calling and calling for me and my nana, she loved traveling more than her husband, my grandpa. So, you know, during their retirement years, he was perfectly happy to stay around the house doing his jobs and that. And nana, you know, she had to go on stuff without him. She'd go with friends of hers or with other relatives. And she was actually, yeah, one of the first people that I... Uh, went away with because um, we went to uh, Europe together and England a couple of times when I was in primary school. And in my young adulthood, I went away with her again uh, sea cruising. So An adventure on a boat. That's a it. A ship. That's it. We've actually got a, um, a clip from Looney Tunes related to that. So this barge your nana lived on, Riley, where was it? So she grew up in England it, during the Depression era, so it would have been an amazing world. And Yeah, I've never met anybody who lived on a barge. Well, there you go, yeah. And 
I th- believe that you know there's still people um, living in that living that way in the UK. Absolutely, and in Europe, yeah, there's a lot of people live on waterways uh, in Asia as well. And you know, on the subject of boats, I was lucky enough to experiencing sea cruising for the first time uh, on this holiday that I went on back when I was 19 with my nana and my grandpa and my auntie. And so we did a couple of them, and they were both on the uh, Holland-America line, which is, it was originally a Dutch company, um, started in the 1870s, but they're owned by America now. They run out of Seattle. And so this first cruise that we went on back in uh, back in 2015, we went around to the islands around Numia, New Caledonia. And cruising, it, it's an interesting thing, you know, because, uh, I mean, it's something that's definitely not for everyone. What do, what do you think of the idea of it, John? Well, what, was it a big... Big ship, it huge. It was big, yeah. It's like you're on a, a floating city in a way. You've got, you know, the different shops and restaurants and movie theaters, and of course, everyone packed in like sardines in these little cabins. Sounds like a, a huge nightclub on the water or something. Yeah, in a way, they definitely had that um, that scene. I mean, I was in a bit of an awkward position because the ship itself was under American law because it was, you know, American company, so. I was subject to that and because I was 19 and I was too young to legally get a drink there, you know, it had to be, the drinking age is 21 in America. But then I was also too old for those, you know, under 18, teen discos and those kind of things. So and you in, were on The Love Boat. <laughs> the Love Boat is one of my Aunt Vicky's favorite shows that uh, Aaron Spelling sitcom from it. the 70s, yeah. Um, they used to get a lot of... Um, celebrity guest appearances and everything but it was really it was a show that was created to promote the cruising industry partially well it Um, worked on my dad he loved going on cruises they went on on a couple two or three i think after they retired no and that's actually something that i noticed with um a lot of the patrons is that uh, i would say i would estimate just from my own observation that like the majority of people there were close to that retirement age you know Uh, a lot of uh, people, sort of, yeah, middle-aged to elderly kind of thing. And, of course, a lot of them would bring their families as well. Um, so there were young people there. Um, but we, we made some friends there, and that's a big part of the appeal of it, I think. It's the people you meet. Um, I made friends with this guy who was the piano p- player, the uh, the entertainer in the piano bar, and he was a classic kind of old-school Vegas. Uh, he lived in Vegas on the back home. Uh, his name is Ken Pettiford and, uh, he was just fantastic, you know, the way that he'd do all the, the classic songs and everything, but he'd, he was creative, like he'd bring in these fake commercials in between the songs, like this was brought to you by, and he'd do all this like comedic, uh, riffing and he, uh, got along really well with, with my family. Um, so he was a, he was a great character. Um, and we made friends with this couple who had found love and, you know, started a new relationship in their 90s. And uh, they were quite adventurous, particularly um, the lady. You know, she was really exuberant. And uh, when we docked, you know, 
uh, on land. You know, she was jumping into the ocean, and I had a, a swim with her and everything. And so, yeah, there was a, lots of um, of colourful characters. It's probably not the kind of thing that I would have done if I didn't have the family connection, you know, and that uh, their desire to go there, their enjoyment of it. But um, as for what it was, like I, I had a really good time with it. Um, I guess you spent most of your time on board. Oh, how, yeah. How long did you spend roaming around foreign lands when you actually got there? Yeah, not not so long because there was a lot of days because I was basically there to um, look after, you know, my family. And Vicky and Grandpa never left the ship. You know, my auntie has some uh, physical disabilities and my grandpa was 95 at the time and I guess he didn't feel like he had the, the energy to. Um, so I only... With that first one we did, I only left the ship a couple of times with uh, with my nana, um, just for day trips and that, and and with this other this couple that we became friends with. But um, with the second one that we did when we went to New Zealand, we actually all four of us did get off, and uh, we met up with my nana's uh, older, sorry, younger sister and brother-in-law who live in Christchurch. And they were in their late 80s at the time. This was 2017. So we went on a nice walk with them. And we actually ran into um, a family that I know from the Sutherland Shire. I just happened to be there um, docking from a different cruise ship, but just, you know, on the same port in New Zealand. And so that was a nice surprise. And um, and that was actually, yeah, my well, that was my first time going to New Zealand as well. And, um, yeah, it definitely struck me how strange the weather is there so it was all pretty aussie on board the ship no as far as the food and the no no no? it was so it was american company and a very dutch influence to the food so uh that was one of the things i noticed with room service and with the the sort of dining that you do the three course kind of dining is that they had a tendency to just cover everything in cheese even if you were getting a soup it would be covered in cheese. And I got to a point where I was getting really sick of cheese towards the end of the three weeks, which I didn't think was possible for me. Um, and, yeah, the, a lot of the kitchen staff, in fact, most of them were Indonesian. And uh, I speak some very limited Indonesian because uh, my mum used to live there. And so I was impressing them with some of the words I could say. And they did a big Indonesian dance for my grandfather's birthday. They did a big happy birthday song and were dancing around, bringing out these cakes and treats and things. And yeah, I don't know who organized that, but I think I just told one of them that it was his birthday and they, yeah, put it on. Um, yeah, so that that was fun. Uh, yeah, there's other things, you know, that I aren't safe for radio, but... um. I definitely stumbled onto a den of iniquity as well, which was I had a great time with. Um, but I cannot reveal, you know, uh, on 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 the air. But uh, yeah, made for some hilarious stories. Have to be off mic. So you wouldn't have been hanging out with the musicians on that cruise, would you, Riley? Yeah, no, that was <laughs> that was who I fell in with. Yeah, well, I'm sure you had some good times with yeah, that. Yeah, Being a crowd. musician myself, I actually nearly um, did go on a cruise ship. 
Um, I was in a, a punk band in, in the early 80s and we were offered a, a cruise, which I'm sure would have been disastrous. It didn't end up happening. That was my only story about cruise ships. But it does, they're not really your th- thing, right? Like that. No, can't think of anything I'd less like to do than uh, go on a cruise ship. But Indonesia, speaking of Indonesia, you mentioned it before, mm. I went surfing in Bali in the early 90s and that was kind of my first mm. trip overseas really um i just bought a ticket and off i went didn't book anything um i've done that every time i've gone overseas mostly is <laughs> just land there and see what happens and it was um it was freaky because it was it's so different in so many ways and um in lots of um Stuff like shopping, um, over there you you barter for everything. Yeah. Whereas I'm used to walking into a shop and paying what the price is. And over there you've got, literally as soon as you leave your your room, you're uh, descended upon by hordes of people selling trinkets mm. and fake watches. And this is the time I went there. Um, Bali was just uh, coming out of a seven-year drought. So all the, pe- the peanut crops had failed, which is about the only thing they could grow there at that time. And um, people were just scratching out at existence. Um, and so there were people everywhere trying to sell trinkets and, and do stuff for mm. tourists, basically. And I was traumatized by it because I didn't know what to pay for anything. And I was on my own. There's nobody I could ask. So I, I was even scared to buy food, you know. <laughs> Unfortunately, my trip there was not... A shopping expedition. It was really um, to explore and to have an adventure. And um, I actually met a local guy who um, became my surfing tour guide because I wanted to go to all the surf spots uh, Uluwatu, uh, Bingen, Nasadua, Greenbowl, all the places I'd read about um, in Tracks magazine when I was a kid. I wanted to go to those places because I always fantasized mm. about being a career surfer when yeah. I was a kid, even though I lived in the country and didn't have a surfboard. Um, uh, I didn't start surfing till I was well into my 20s. And Anyway, I wasn't a great surfer, mm. but I had a great surfing adventure and I lived with this guy in his um, traditional Balinese home with a temple, a shrine in the middle mm. and all of his, uh, you know... Uh, uncles and grandparents and all living in this same compound and I remember my light bulb was a five watt incandescent light bulb that you couldn't even read by Um, they were incredibly poor they had to buy their water they had to they had no running sewage no water Uh, they had to pay to send their kids to school and um, so they they did it very tough Mm. Uh, I was very fortunate to live with them and got some insights into the way you know their day-to-day lives but yeah one of the things that struck me when I, as soon as I got uh, to Kuda was the animals, the dogs everywhere. <laughs> and we're used to pets here. We've got a, a great right. uh, culture of pet ownership in Australia. And they also have pets in other countries, but their culture around <laughs> pets is completely different. And in Bali, there are dogs running around everywhere in terrible condition. Um, Emaciated and dirty. Starving, yeah, with like limbs missing and there's like litters of puppies kind of crawling around in the streets in the gutters. And um, I found it a bit distressing, but 
I came to realize that it's a different kind of ecosystem there and it's a different relationship on all kinds of levels, uh, including the spiritual level that mm. the Balinese people have with animals. And one of the ways that these, um, these dogs survive is that the um, religious customs. But we're going to talk more about my trip to Bali next week, right, Riley? That's right, John, and more travel stories. Until then, bye-bye. You're listening to People Powered Radio, proudly supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The Community Broadcasting Foundation resources community-owned and operated media stations just like this one that connect people and tell vital local stories so that we all enjoy a more vibrant, inclusive Australian culture and healthy democracy. Find out more about our work at cbf.com.au. It's more than just jazz. It's arts, specialist music, and the issues that affect our community. Heard right here on 89.7 FM, Eastside Radio.